This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. Let's pray together. Fathers, we, we come now to your word we know that as Ephesians 6 says that your word is the sword of your spirit. And so we, we pray now that you would, would take your word and that you would do deep surgery in our hearts, deep healing work in, in our lives. And we pray that, that as we look at Psalm 133 that, that, that Christ would be placarded before us uh, that he would be lifted up and that people would be drawn to, to him. And so we thank you for your word. This is a precious time together. Um, we, we pray that you would eliminate anything that would distract us, uh, help us just to, to lock in and focus on, on you right now as we study your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, open your Bibles to Psalm 133 this morning. Psalm 133 is about uh, the, when God's people dwell together in, in unity. And so today we, we finish up our study of the Psalms. It has been such an incredible blessing this summer to walk through some of the, the Psalms together in the, in the series. Um, and so we're going to finish up today with a beautiful little Psalm. It's just three verses, but it is incredibly rich. And not only is it a beautiful picture of unity, it's a beautiful picture of who God is. And we'll see that as we, as we study it today. Psalm 133, if you'll follow along in your copy of, of God's word. How delightfully good when brothers live together in harmony. It is like fine oil on the head, running down on the beard, running down Aaron's beard onto his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon falling on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has appointed the blessing, life forevermore. So e pluribus unum is the motto of our country. When you see the seal of the United States and the eagle on the seal, right, right above the eagle, you see this Latin phrase, e pluribus unum, and it means out of many, one. So the many speaks to our diversity as a country. We are a nation of immigrants. Um, most everybody came from another country to this country. And uh, that many uh, ethnicities, uh, many colors, uh, different religions, different views of politics, and, and on and on. That's the, the many. Out, but out of many, one. It means we're all Americans, and so um, we're, 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 we're united together as a country in, in, that, in that way. But, you know, unity as a country is a much lower bar than unity as God's people. When you think about unity as a, as a country, really the most that we can hope for is, with all of our diversity in a pluralistic society like ours is that we will treat one another with mutual respect uh, internally 
And when we face an external threat, for instance, like we did in the 1940s in World War II, that we will, will join together to, 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 to meet that. Uh, that's national unity, but that's a much lower bar than the unity of God's people. And within God's people, we're called to a much higher standard. Uh, not just sort of you know, mutual respect, we're called to, to love one another. We are called to be a family of brothers and sisters to one another. And we are called to glorify God together by imaging forth through our unity who God is. Because what we're gonna see today is that God has been about unity and harmony from, from throughout all eternity. And, and we're called to image forth who he is to one another and to the, the watching world. So what we see here in Psalm 133 is something about the desirability of unity, and then we're going to see a a beautiful description of unity. So first of all, let's look at the desirability of unity. Let's look together at verse 1. So in the, the CSB, it says, how delightfully good when brothers live together in harmony. In, in the ESV and many other translations, it says, behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. I think both of these are, 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 are good translations and they bring out something really important here. So let's kind of unpack together what we, what we see here in, in verse one. First of all, the Bible tells us that, that unity is, is good. So when you think about that, you think about the fact that unity is right. It is, it is, it is right. It's the right thing. Um, it, when you think about the fact that it's good, it means that it is our duty to pursue unity and to maintain it. It's what we ought to do. Okay, so it's, it's good. It's the, it's, the, it's the right thing. It is our, our duty to pursue unity and to maintain unity, but it's also pleasant, right? It is, it is delightful. It makes life more enjoyable. It, it just, it's, it's just better. It just makes life better in every way. And so it is both good and pleasant. Now listen, there are a lot of things in life that are good but not pleasant. (laughs) And there are things that are pleasant but not good. (laughs) But unity is both good and pleasant. How strongly did Jesus desire the unity of his people? Well, the night before Jesus goes to the cross as he's praying for the, the church in the future, he could have prayed about anything that he wanted to pray about. But one of the things that was uppermost on his heart that night was, was the unity of his people. And not only the, the unity of the believers who were alive at that time, but of, of the unity of those who would, who would believe in him in the future. That's us. Let's look at John 17 and verses 20 through 23. Jesus, Jesus prays, and this is the night before he goes to the cross. He, pr- he prays, I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word. Right, believers in the future, that, that's us. May they all be one, as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. 
may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me so that they may be made completely one that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. So this is what scholars refer to as a high priestly prayer of, of Jesus. Uh, we, we, look, we looked at Psalm 110 a couple of weeks ago. We saw the, we saw the, the priestly role of Jesus as our great high priest. And we looked at Hebrews a lot too a couple of weeks ago. Um, looking at the priestly role of Christ. So he intercedes for us. And this is called the high priestly prayer because Jesus, as our great high priest, is interceding for his, his people here. Now, when you think about what the high priest did in the Old Testament when he prayed for the people, he would go into the Holy of Holies and burn a fragrant incense, and he would be wearing a, a plate on his chest, and on that plate would be 12 jewels, and those 12 jewels represented the 12 tribes of Israel. And so the high priest was going into the presence of God with the people of God literally on his heart. And Jesus here, the night before he goes to the cross in this high priestly prayer, is coming before the Father and his prayers are rising as a fragrant incense to the Father. And Jesus is coming into the presence of God with the people of God on his heart. And what was on his heart for his people, his church? That we would be one. That we would be united. And so much is at stake in that. He says, so that the world may believe. How, how is the world going to believe if, if we are not one? Now, when we think about unity, it's important to say unity does not mean uniformity. When you read the New Testament, you, you see in the early church, people are coming together from various kinds of backgrounds. They have different spiritual gifts. You see whole sections of the, of the New Testament epistles that are about the, you know, kind of the wide diversity of giftedness in, in God's people. So we come together, we've got We've got varying gifts. We come together from different backgrounds. One of the remarkable things about the early church was the, the ethnic diversity and racial diversity uh, in the early church, which was so unusual for that culture. Yet Jews and Gentiles that had been animosity towards one another, uh, people from different socioeconomic uh, backgrounds that usually didn't have anything to do with one another, and now they're brought together as one family. And it was this amazing witness to the world. Um, and so you see in, in the church just lots of, lots of diversity. So unity does not mean uniformity, right? We come from different, different spiritual gifts. We've got different experiences in our lives, different personalities. We're different ages, different genders, different backgrounds, uh, di different perspectives on, all on outside events or politics or whatever. But when we come together as a church, we've been made one by the Spirit of God, as we sang earlier, and we are together in our love for Jesus. We are together in our, our, our love for the gospel. We are together in the essentials of our faith. Now, there are, there are certainly things doctrinally that are, 
that are non-essential that we don't have to agree on, but there are things that are, that are essential that we must agree on, right? Because it's part of the faith once for all delivered to the saints, as Jude 3 tells us. So, you know, when you think about essential doctrines of the faith, the, you know, the, 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 the cross of Christ, the nature of Christ, the, the, the resurrection, uh, the, 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 the nature of the Trinity and, and things like that, right? Those are, those are essentials of the faith. Um, then there are things that are, that are, you know, that Bible-believing Christians disagree on. So for instance, when you think about something like the return of Christ, the fact that Jesus is returning literally, bodily, and in victory is not up for discussion or debate. That is an essential of the faith. But when it comes to you know, things like millennial views or tribulational views or things like that, details uh, in, in, uh, in reference to the second coming, you know, those are things that you know, there's a lot of diversity among Bible-believing Christians about those issues. It's okay to have your leaning on things like that, but you need to hold that humbly right? It's the essentials that, that bind us together. It is our mission as a church to glorify Christ by making disciples who make disciples in our community and around the world. And it is the gospel, the gospel that pulls us together to, 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 to be centered on the good news of Jesus as a church and extending that to our community and to people around the world that, that brings us together. So we see a beautiful description of this unity in verses two and three. So let's look at the description of unity in verses two and three. David says, it is like fine oil on the head running down on the beard, running down Aaron's beard onto his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon falling on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has appointed the blessing, life forevermore. So in verses two and three, we see two beautiful similes of of what unity is like. He says in verse two, unity is like this. Verse three, unity is like this. They are similes, beautiful similes. And let's look first of all at verse two. He says that unity is like fine oil on the head, running down on the beard, running down Aaron's beard onto his robes. So in Exodus, we are told about this oil that Aaron was anointed with. It wasn't just any oil, it was a very special oil. David refers to it here as fine oil, or sometimes it's called precious oil. Let's take a look at this oil. Exodus 30 and verses 22 through 32. The Lord spoke to Moses, take for yourself the finest spices, 12 and a half pounds of liquid myrrh, half as much, six and a quarter pounds of fragrant cinnamon, six and a quarter pounds of fragrant cane, 12 and a half pounds of cassia, which is kind of in the cinnamon family as well, by the shekel, uh, sanctuary shekel, and a gallon of olive oil. 
Prepare from these a holy anointing oil, a scented blend, the work of a perfumer. It will be a holy anointing oil. With it, you are to anoint the tent of meeting, the ark of the testimony, the table with all its utensils, the lampstand with its utensils, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils, and the basin with its stand. Consecrate them, and they will be especially holy. Whatever touches them will be consecrated. Anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them to serve me as priests. Tell the Israelites, this will be my holy anointing oil throughout your generations. It must not be used for ordinary anointing on a person's body, and you must not make anything like it using its formula. It is holy, and it must be holy to you. So this is the kind of oil When David talks about, in verse 2, the kind of oil that Aaron was anointed with, that's running down his beard and running down onto his robes, it it was this kind of oil. And he says that unity is like this. Unity is like this oil running down. So what do we see here about this oil that can tell us something about the nature of unity? First of all, unity is sacred. Unity is sacred. This was not just any oil, it was holy oil. It was a sacred oil. And and unity is sacred. Listen, you have things that are in your house that are sacred. To, to you, if, if, you're, if there was a fire or something, I mean, those would be the first things that you would, would, would grab because they are especially valuable and precious to you. They're sacred. And he's saying here that unity is like that. This is a sacred oil, and unity is sacred. We are to cherish unity. We We are to guard unity, right? So unity is sacred. Second, unity is soothing. In the ancient Near East and in biblical times, oil was used for welcoming Guests, because in the climate of the, the Middle East, uh, it, the, the oil on the head, uh, on the scalp, you know, was just especially um, soothing in that climate. Think about the opposite of unity. Strife. Strife is not soothing, right? Strife is one of the most stressful things in life. It is anything but soothing, but, but unity is soothing. Third, unity is fragrant. Unity is fragrant. It's obvious from Exodus 30, this was a sweet-smelling oil. It was a sweet-smelling aroma that, and, and a fragrance like this spreads. Sometimes in our house, we will, we will diffuse oils. <laughs> we, we are to be diffusers. Of, of unity, Wh- wherever we are, in different conversations that we find ourselves in, different contexts, by both the words that we say and the way that we say those words, uh, and, and by what we choose not to say as well. So whether we're talking about in, a, in marriage, or whether we're talking about in our, in our family, or whether we're talking about where we work, or where we go to school, or in the church, or as we, we relate to different people, be a diffuser of unity. May a sweet smelling fragrance of, of unity exude from your life. Be a person who builds bridges to other people. Be a peacemaker. 
be, be a person who, again, through what the words you say and the way that you say them, and sometimes by what you don't say, be a person who, who, who spreads the sweet smelling aroma of, of unity. Fourth, unity comes from God. Unity comes from God. Let's go back to verses two and three again. So there is a threefold use of a Hebrew verb here in verses two and three uh, for descending. He says in verse two that unity is like fine oil on the head running down on the beard. Again, running down on Aaron's beard and onto his robes. Verse three, it's like the dew of Hermon falling on the mountains of Zion. Running down, running down, falling. In other words, unity comes from above. Unity comes from God. And it is especially associated with the spirit of God. When, when Aaron was anointed as high priest, which is what David's picturing here in verse two, the, the, the anointing with this special oil was, was, was symbolic of the fact that he was being anointed by the Spirit of God for a special task. And when Jesus comes, it's our great high priest, what happens at the beginning of our Lord's public ministry? He's baptized, and then what happens at Jesus' baptism? Luke chapter three, verses 21 and 22. When all the people were baptized, Jesus also was baptized. As he was praying, heaven opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in physical appearance like a dove and a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. So at the very beginning of Jesus' public ministry, he is anointed with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit descends upon him and here, as in, 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 Psalm, in Psalm 133, as this oil is, is poured out on Aaron's head and running down, it's the, it symbolizes the fact that this is the oil of the Spirit that he is being uh, anointed with. Now, what are the implications of this for us? Michael Reeves has written a beautiful little book called Delighting in the Trinity that I, I commend to you. But Reeves says this, so beautiful. As the oil ran down from Aaron's head to his body, so the spirit would run down from Christ our head to his body, the church. It is the spirit who unites us to Christ like the oil flowing down onto the body of the high priest, he imparts the blessings of Christ the head to the body, the church. How beautiful is that? Again, Reeves says, how great and lovely then is the work of the Spirit. He unites us to the Son so that the Father's love for the Son also encompasses us. He draws us to share the Father's own enjoyment of the Son, and he causes us to share in the Son's delight in the Father. So unity is not only God-given, but unity pictures God. It pictures who God has been throughout all eternity. 
in the love and harmony of the three persons of the Trinity. Now listen, you do not have this kind of a God without the Trinity. In, in, in Islam, Allah is essentially lonely. The God of the Bible is essentially loving. He is loving in his very essence. And that has implications for us in the way that we treat one another. 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. But listen, God is love because God is a trinity. The oil of the Spirit flowing down unites us to the Son. And the Son reconciles us to the Father and to one another. Again, Reeves says so beautifully, the Spirit wins male and female, black and white, Jew and Gentile, all to the same uniting love of God which spills over into a heartfelt love for one another. He unites us to the Son so that together we cry Abba and begin to know each other truly as brothers and sisters. For the new humanity is a new family. It is the spreading family of the Father. Amen. All right, let's look at the second Beautiful simile here in, in verse three. Verse three. He says that unity is like the dew of Hermon. And that would be Mount Hermon that he's talking about. Falling on the mountains of Zion. So the mountains of Zion are the mountains right around Jerusalem. For there the Lord has appointed the blessing, life forevermore. You know, one of the really beautiful, crazy things about Israel is uh, the geographical diversity of the country. So you, you start in the south, and it's, it's desert, beautiful desert, but desert. You, know, you come to a body of water, the Dead Sea, that's you know, so salty that you can float on it without assistance, but you know, nothing else lives there because of all the salt. And you, you come to kind of semi-arid uh, mountain ranges and then they're incredibly fertile valleys there's another big body of water the sea of galilee which is is fresh water you know teeming with um with life and kind of it's it's down below sea level in a basin so around the sea of galilee you see all kinds of tropical fruits that are growing like bananas but then you can look off uh, up and uh, on a clear day you can see mount hermon to the north which is over 9,200 feet high, and for, 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 uh, for part of the year, it's covered in snow. In fact, this past year, they had tons of snow on Mount Hermon. It was, it's a ski, a ski resort. Um, and all of this geographical diversity is when, within an area like the size of the state of New Jersey. <laughs> okay, So it's, 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 it's pretty unique. But Mount Hermon, in the very north of Israel, is renowned for its moisture, right? It gets snow, gets a lot of more, it gets more rain than any parts of the country. It gets this, this dew. So moisture is a big deal in the Middle East. And you can see that here in, in verse three. He says that unity is like this dew 
from Mount Hermon falling on the mountains of Zion, which are the mountains around Jerusalem. So, the, so Mount Zion is about 2,500 feet high, so it's, it's much lower than Mount Hermon, and also it's much drier in Jerusalem. And he says unity is like this refreshing, life-giving dew that's falling on the mountains of Zion. But, you know, Jerusalem is like 120 miles away from Mount Hermon. That is like this, this is not something that just happens naturally. David is picturing this life-giving dew falling on Mount Zion in a spiritual sense. So what happened on Mount Zion? Mount Zion is where the temple was, right? What happened in the temple? Within the temple is the Holy of Holies, and this is where, in the Old Testament, where, where God met with his people. But how eventually was God going to meet with his people? He was going to come to his people, right? He was going to come. Christ came to his people, right? To purchase what? To purchase life forevermore. And in Philippians 2, Paul pictures this as Jesus descending, right? We've been talking about descending, falling down, running down. Eventually, God was going to come to us. He was going to come down to us. And the fact that he has done that has incredible implications for the unity of the church, which is exactly what Paul is saying in Philippians 2. Let's look at it. Philippians 2, 1 and following. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. And then he tells us what kind of behavior contributes to unity like that. He says in verse three, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. We sung earlier about preferring one another, right? That's what he's talking about. Verse four, everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. So Paul is calling the church here to humility in their treatment of one another, right? To, to, to honor one another above yourselves, to prefer one another, to adopt this humble kind of a spirit which so contributes to unity. But then he grounds that in what Christ has done for us. Verses five and following. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. Because ultimately God was gonna come and meet with his people. The life-giving dew that was gonna be falling down was Jesus coming to us to give us life forevermore. And he says, in the way that you treat one another, 
adopt this Christ-like spirit, not of thrusting your, putting yourself forward above others and seeking to dominate others, but, but humbling yourself. Humbling yourself before God and before one another as you treat one another with, with humility, with, with gentleness, with, with, with love that models what Jesus has done for us. You know, when, when we think about unity and joy, kind of the way to unity and joy is doing life in this order, <laughs> J-O-Y, <laughs> Jesus, others, you. When we arrange our lives in that order, Christ first, others, and then yourself, the Bible says that's the path to unity and that's the path to joy in your own life. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for this beautiful little psalm and what it teaches us about who you are. And we pray that you would help us as a family of God to, to model who you are. Lord, we, we know that there's a world that is hurting, that desperately needs you. We, we pray that as a church family, that by your grace, by the power of your spirit, that we would just model that. Lord, as individuals in our own lives, wherever you take us every day, in our, in our families, in our marriages, it, where we work, where we go to school, and just different conversations that we have uh, with people, and certainly as a church family, Lord, we, we pray that you would make us as individual people, Lord, make us, may there be a sweet-smelling aroma to our lives, that, that there would be a fragrance of, 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 bringing, of bringing people together and imaging forth who you are to others, that you would be glorified. And we pray it in the name of Christ. Amen. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12: to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you wanna spend time with them. 
We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.